Welcome to the Just Culture Podcast. I'm Mary Jane. On this show, we are dedicated to creating a safe and just healthcare system. It's no secret to the public that the healthcare system is in a crisis. Nurses and doctors are being asked to take care of sicker patients than we've ever had before with less resources and hospitals are operating under a critical staffing shortage. Some hospitals don't even have the staff to stay open, let alone be profitable and care for their communities. This needs to stop. On this show, we are going to have the difficult conversations, take a look at where we're at, and also come up with solutions on how to fix this. Where do we go from here? How do we take care of our caregivers? How do we give our patients the best care? Those are the questions that we are interested in answering here each and every week. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Just Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane Duquette. So this week, I wanted to mix things up a little bit and talk about um, some things that I do as a legal nurse consultant because I know that my following on here are a lot of legal nurse consultants or aspiring consultants and also attorneys and I know that in every single episode, I'm talking about all of these principles, and this is the reason why, because when you don't value people and you don't fight for what is right, people get hurt, right? That's the reality of it. And that's why we have the legal system to come into play, because when people get hurt, They're the ones who are coming in and essentially cleaning up the mess and bringing light to all of these issues. Um, If you work defense, this is just as important because it's all about understanding not only what happened, but why it happened. And if you're defending a hospital, you need to make sure that you're looking at everything because you could have an injury, a fall on a unit, But really, they were responding to an emergency. I mean, is that really something that a reasonable person wouldn't do? They wouldn't let somebody die so they could go answer a a bed alarm, right? So it's really important to make sure you're asking all of these questions. And I actually find, um, so one of the most common things I do when I'm reviewing cases is I'm asked to review, it's called a medical, um, it's called a, a case screening, essentially. And so... These are attorneys who have gotten medical records and they're wondering if they have a case. So they're like, okay, this is what my client says happened. Can you look at the medical records and see if anybody actually did anything wrong? Or maybe this is just a normal side effect or a complication who, or something completely different. So can you please look at these cases? And so because it's such a quick service and I have a flat fee for it. I get asked to do it quite a bit and I'm looking at the cases to find out what happened, yes, but I'm also looking at them for why because the why might be the most important factor. And what I find in the few cases that have come back to me uh, right before, you know, they're going for deposition and they're like, okay, I'm going to need you to explain to the opposing counsel why you thought X happened or didn't happen. And I'm looking at the list of things that I'm asking them to look at for me and information to gather for me. And they haven't done most of it. They'll mostly get the medical records if it's worth if they feel it's worth their while, but they won't 
often entertain any of the other questions that I'm asking. So I wanted to put this episode out there because I really wanted to really have you guys thinking along the lines of not only what happened, but why it happened. Otherwise, we're just You know, like Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So if we're not looking at why people are falling, why medical errors are happening, why this, why that, and we're just pointing out that it happened over and over and over again, we're going to get the same result. Another person that is injured that comes into into our orbit. So because I'm both, um, I'm actually on the patient side and nursing side. So um, I'm actually a real proponent to prevent injuries. I don't want to have cases to review. I want to focus my attention on other things. Um, There's so many things in healthcare that could be improved, but I feel like we need to minimize harm first because that is what we came for. So here's, here's what we do. So looking at a case. So most everybody will do this. So they want to know what happened. So you read the medical record. Well, you first talk to the client, find out what their story is, and then you look in the medical records and see if the story matches up, right? So they say, I got, uh, somebody gave me an overdose of medication or somebody gave me an incorrect medication. So you're going to look in the chart to find out if Indeed, they were given an incorrect dose or an incorrect medication. That's it. That's a given. That is easy. Other things you're looking for are the standard of care. So what should have happened in this case, right? So when you have a fall case, what is the standard of care for preventing falls in a hospital? And I tell my students this all the time when we're learning fall risk, You look at the fall risk scale, right? And the questions that it's asking you to find out if the person is at risk for falls. Well, the intervention is to prevent that question, right? So it says, does your patient have a history of falls? Yes. Is your patient um, have issues with balance? Yes. Okay, so what can I do for balance, right? What what are my interventions? I'm going to, um, if they are using a walker, I'll encourage the walker. If I'm going to be there with them as, you know, somebody to help steady them, right? And so you need to look at what should, so what happened, what should have happened? And then the next question is, was there a deviation to that standard of care? So we know what should have happened. And so did the nurse, doctor, physical therapist, occupational therapist, et cetera, the, the list goes on. Did the, did the practitioner actually do what the stand, what should have been done? Right. So say you have a patient who was being intubated in the OR and the anesthesiologist was having a really hard time intubating them. And, you know, the standard of care is within X amount of time frame, they need to put a trach in, which is um, a breathing tube directly through the neck. So they would do an incision and and put a tube directly into the trachea in in through the the neck because they're not able to pass the through the oral um, cavity down into the trachea and that is how the patient's going to breathe and continue to get oxygen if that patient didn't have oxygen to their brain then they're going to end up with brain damage or or death and so you need you need to look at these things so what happened like what occurred at face value for whatever it is what should have happened? 
did they do what should have happened? And if they didn't, how, how did they deviate, right? So they, maybe it was two minutes that they were supposed to only, or maybe it was like one minute they were only supposed to try um, to, to intubate this patient before doing a trach, and they went for three minutes, right? And now the patient has deficits or maybe died. So, um, you know, you, you really get into that. And then you look at what are the injuries, right? So sometimes things happen, like you, a patient was late getting their insulin. Well, nothing immediate really happened to them, right? There was an error that occurred. They should have gotten their insulin within 30 minutes of their meal, and that was on the policy. That's the standard of care. That's what should have happened. But because maybe the nurse was busy, she got in there at 45 minutes, and the patient had a little blood sugar spike, and they gave him some meds and fixed it. Everything went down, and there's no in, there's no actual injury. Nothing happened besides that blood that high blood sugar, which we treated. So you need to look at injuries, um, and then you also need to look at recovery, right? So cutting off the wrong leg has huge implications versus giving somebody a late insulin dose and having their blood sugar spike, right? Um, I mean, you could argue uncontrolled blood sugars contributed to an infection maybe. Um, so that, that could be something where um, blood sugar could certainly play a role. But if you're looking at, you know, you cut off the wrong leg, well, now you have to cut off both legs, right? And now this person is probably wheelchair bound um, unless they can, um, they're healthy enough um, to be able to use two prosthetics, which they shouldn't have ever had to do that because they were only supposed to have one, right? So, you know, will they recover? A brain injury, will they recover from the brain injury? A concussion, maybe. A really bad brain injury, they might not. They're going to have long-lasting effects. And so that's usually what we look for. Um, lawyers will look for this when they're reviewing cases. Doctors will look for this. Uh, physicians, when they're reviewing cases. And many legal nurses will, will do the same. But I really argue we need to go beyond that. And I totally realize that it's, you know, it's how much money am I paying to get this information? How much time is it going to take me versus I only need 51% uh, probability that I'm right to win this case, right? And so that is what we're up against. But we, if we're going to do this work, we should do this work correctly, right? So the rest of the questions and where I tend to go above and beyond is asking, why did this happen, right? And there is an argument to it because when you're thinking about, you know, getting an expert witness and having an expert witness working on a case, you're thinking about what is the definition of the standard of care, which as we discussed earlier, the standard of care is what should have happened in that instance. And when I say what should have happened, what I'm really saying is what would a reasonable person do with the same or similar training in the same or similar circumstances. So if I have more training and experience than a brand new nurse, I might not be the best expert for them because what would a brand new nurse do, right? Or that's a that's a really poor example, but maybe what would a nurse practitioner do versus a, a staff nurse, right? They have different training. The, the nurse practitioner is more advanced training. 
Um, you know, somebody with a PhD trained nurse has a little bit more training than uh, an RN who's maybe got an associate's degree. So you want to match up education and experience, right? So if I've never worked in the NICU, I have no business being an expert on a NICU case, right? And so you really need to look at that. And then also in the similar circumstances, and that is where we get tripped up because in a perfect world, the standard of care is set for cases that are in a perfect world. So perfect staffing, your patient care load is perfect. You have all the time in the world to do all the care that you need. You're not rushed. You really can do a really good job. You're educated. You're, you have the resources you need. So in a perfect world, this is what should happen. But when you're thinking about in same or similar circumstances, you really need to understand the circumstances right? And those are the questions that I tend to ask are, what were the circumstances on that shift, right? So maybe the first question is, you know, what were the conditions on the unit at the time of the incident? That affects a ton of things. Um, It should never really affect medication errors, right? Because no matter what's going on, we always need to make sure we're following the five rights of drug administration. But this really affects um, pressure wounds and falls, right? If you have a pressure wound or a fall, you need to really look at what was happening on the unit. What were the staffing ratios like for the, for the fall? What were the staffing ratios like on that exact um on that unit at that exact time. Pressure injury, you need to look at the staffing ratios for the past few days, maybe the past week, right? Um, There's a lot of things that go into that and a lot more, but staffing ratios really make a difference because if you have a floor that's fully staffed and say I'm the nurse and I'm taking care of a patient in one room and I may be doing a sterile procedure and I can't leave. So I'm like inserting a catheter or something. I'm in the middle of it and a bed alarm goes off two rooms down. That's my patient as well, but I'm sterile. I can't leave this patient. This unsafe for the patient that I have in front of me right now that I'm providing care to to leave them. And, but it's also unsafe for the other patient because the call bell's going off or the bed alarm's going off and I can't get in there. So if I have fully staffed unit, then there's other people that are maybe walking by and they can walk in. When there's not a lot of people and everybody's in a room and everybody's tied up in the same position where if I walk away from this patient to go to that issue that I'm hearing, this patient that I have in front of me is going to be in danger. But if I don't go take care of this other patient, that patient's in danger. So you can't split yourself in two. So you need more bodies, right? And that that becomes an issue. A nurse who has a CNA always working with her, um, it just has another body for when somebody calls out and says they have to go to the bathroom. The nurse doesn't have to be the one to go down there. So I could stay and do my sterile catheter procedure and the patient that is down the hall could be addressed to the bathroom with my CNA, or they could bring them ginger ale for me. Um, Lots of other things. So it's just more hands on deck for different things. Uh, Pressure injuries the same way. I can't roll somebody who is a two person assist to move in bed by myself. On my best day, maybe I could figure it out, but I'm not going to do a really good job of it. And if you've got me on there for 12, 14 hours, I'm going to get really tired doing this all alone. So you need another person. Right. And then I remember one night I was working on um, 
uh, it wasn't the ICU, it was the ICU step-down unit. I had three patients. The nurse on the, the step-down unit with me as well had three patients. So there were six rooms on this one um, unit that we were on. We had no CNA. We were by ourselves. All of our patients were two-person assist bed mobility. So what we ended up having to do was we started at the top of the hour in room one, and we turned that patient, did any interventions they needed, we gave them a med, whatever had to happen. We, we just moved through it together. And we went through one patient and then number two and then number two and number two. And every 15 minutes, roughly, it took us in every room. So we were able to get all of our patients turned in two hours, all of the medications administered and all of the monitoring that needed to be monitored because we were tag teaming and doing it together. Um, that works out really great. Um, and you can be short staffed and still make it if you have a great team. But there were other nights in that same unit where we have patients with breathing masks on and they would pull them down because people are just, you know, if you're not getting great oxygen, you're a little confused and you're sick and people just pull masks off, right? You have this big mask on your face. It's uncomfortable. First thing you think is, oh, I'm taking this off. And they take it off. The second they take it off, they desat. So if I'm in a room and I'm getting a patient to the bathroom and I, if I walked away from this patient, you know, they're really heavily relying on me, they're going to fall. But I see on the, the monitor that one of the other patients' mask came down. So somebody needed to go resuscitate that patient to get their oxygen up. You have to stay with them. That's an emergency. And someone needs to be there. So the other nurse runs in that room and takes care of that patient. Now we're both tied up. And then a, a third patient took their mask off. And so it can be really unsafe and it can get really unsafe really quick. Now, if we had a CNA, the CNA could be toileting the patient and the nurse and I could be resuscitating patients that needed it or another hand on deck to remind patients not to pull their mask down even, right? Um, staffing really, really makes a huge difference. So always needs to be looked at. Another thing to look at with the conditions of the unit are emergencies or codes, right? So if one of the patients, what normally happens is, you know, a nurse will walk into a room and the patient is unconscious, not breathing. And so we call something called a code blue. Usually it's called code blue. It might be something different other places. Some people know what code blue is and so they don't want to announce it and they'll change the name of it. But essentially it's a code blue. We have to we have to bring this person back to life, right? If we don't do an intervention, this person is dead. And so if they're a full code, we need to code them. We need to bring them back. That is our job. And that is our number one priority over anything else. So if you are not hands-on a patient, you are running to that room and you are providing help. It's all hands on deck situation. We call a code for the main hospital and the code team from the hospital with different, um, you know, there might be anesthesiologists from the OR will come up. There'll be a critical care nurse from the ICU will come. Critical care doctors will come. Um, you know, there's a team that will come and they will take over the code. But until they come, the staff on the unit have to be the ones that are there because we're there, we're frontline. And if we stop what we're doing, this, this person dies. So while we're all in that and it's all hands on deck and another patient calls because they have to go to the bathroom, we can tell that patient there's an emergency, you need to wait. Um, some people just don't want to wait and they'll still get up and still and still move. So there are times when we just can't be there because you have to triage 
which is more dangerous. Having a patient wait, maybe they pee their pants. I can help you clean that up and I you don't need to be embarrassed at all because I'm a nurse. I've seen it all. I can't bring somebody back to life after they've been deceased, right? I have to save this person. So always, always ask about what is going on on the unit. Were there any codes? Um, I was working one night and two of my patients were coding back to back and I didn't have a lot of time for the other four patients that I was assigned to, right? It was just code after code after code after code. And I had to have other people check in on my other patients for me um, because I was just running from emergency to emergency. So things really do happen. And it's very important to know if that's the case. Um, And also staffing ratios are amazing. They're really great, but not all assignments are created equal, right? So you can have an assignment of five patients and it all works out great. You start the top of the hour and you just go in one round to the other and then you have a little bit of time to chart before you go back to it again, right? And you can get through all of your patients. And then you have a patient load where your patients are always trying to get out of bed when it's not safe, so you're constantly running in to check on them. You hear a bed alarm, you have to stop everything you're doing and go run into them. You might have a load where you have maybe a patient who is super confused and unsafe and pulling at lines. That's another issue. You can have a patient load where you have multiple people doing multiple things like that that are all urgent. You have to stop what you're doing to keep everybody safe. They have a lot of meds, a lot of interventions. There there just can be a lot, right? And so you would hope on a unit there's teamwork. So if my assignment tends to turn out that it's a really heavy assignment in someone's light, they'll come and help me and I would do the same for them, but there are places that aren't like that. So looking at that, looking at what kind of assignment the nurse had, like what did that nurse have going on? Um, Charge nurse, looking at the charge nurse always, I always recommend um, interviewing the charge nurse or deposing the charge nurse. They really have a good pulse on what is going on on the unit. And they are also there to be a resource to the nurse who's taking care of the patient, right? So if a nurse is tied up and a patient calls out and needs something and you're short staffed and your charge nurse is there, I mean, the charge nurse could go get somebody ginger ale, right? Or um, find somebody to get the patient to the bathroom and just be an extra set of um, hands for you sometimes. And also, um, I guess the next thing that I look at are um, the policies. And I feel like a lot of people do look at this um, because I could be doing something according to my hospital policy, but if my hospital policy is outdated, then... um, what good is it, right? If it's not the most current standard of care and we're doing something, you know, like um, insulin is one where if you're not managing somebody's insulin up to um, the current standard of care, then they could be getting poor um, outcomes, poor wound healing outcomes, poor surgical outcomes, lots of different things could happen. So always looking at the policies and making sure they're up to date. Um, And always asking for policies because I will tell you from firsthand, not every facility has actual policies and procedures that you can use. I worked somewhere and I asked to see a policy because I was going to see a patient that I, I mean, I had, it was a tracheostomy patient and I knew how to handle tracheostomies. I know how to educate a patient, how to take care of it, but I was in home health. So I wanted to know what 
my responsibility was. So how many how many visits should I be scheduling? How often should I go see them? Um, how long should I keep them on service for? Um, you know, all I just had some specific questions to the setting I was in, and I wanted to see the policy. And the manager said there was no policy. And I said, well, how do you, you know, how do you handle situations like what I'm in? And the manager told me to um, consult YouTube, um, which there's a lot of great content on YouTube. That's awesome. But when you're talking about standard medical practice and standard of care, YouTube isn't the place to go because um, what if they're giving you bad advice? Do you have any way to know what they're doing? Right. So um, you need to know if they have policy. So always ask to pull the policy. You might be surprised how many times you find out there are none. Um, the next thing that's important to look at is what's the culture of the unit as a whole? Um, I talked about this a little bit before, but does the unit foster teamwork? So if I get an admission to my assignment that's really heavy and the patient might have a lot of pain, they might come back from the OR, or they might just, um, somebody might have aspirated and now I have a pneumonia situation I'm handling and um, with urgent testing and different things that are going on and... Or maybe the night that I had the two coding patients, right, and the ICU was full and it was an all-hands-on-deck with the supervisors of the hospital and lots of people came to help me. But if I didn't have that, um, that would have been so unsafe. All of the patients that were, were under my care, if I did not have help for the period of time that I needed it until my patients could get moved off of the floor, um, Wow, that would have been so unsafe, right? Because there was a good chunk of time where I couldn't lay eyes on four of my patients. Thank goodness that other nurses were like, okay, you're in a code. Who needs who needs what? When was the last time you saw your patients? What can I do to help you besides just in this code? Because I had enough, you know, the code team had come at that point. So, you know, if you don't have staff that are going to do that for each other, then you're going to have poor outcomes. You're going to have patient falls. You're going to have infections. Um it, it, it's just how it's going to be. Um, so looking at the unit um, environment and the teamwork and how people treat each other, is there bullying? I don't know if I've ever once talked about bullying w when it comes to a legal case, but bullying is, it makes you feel like you can't ask for help if you need it, right? So if I'm a nurse and I don't really know about this medication and I looked it up, but I'm still unsure, I want to be able to go to somebody who has more experience than me and ask questions and ask for help, right? Because, you know, if you're a newer nurse, you've gone through school and you've learned the theories, but now you're in practice and you're going to see things that you might have heard in school, right? But it didn't mean anything, Like it didn't stick and until you've actually done the intervention, you don't really have it solid. And so you need to be able to ask questions. You need to feel safe, right? Instead of having a, a unit that fosters bullying and you're going to ask a more senior nurse and they're like, oh, I don't do new nurses. Once you've been a nurse for two years, come talk to me, right? That really happened to me. And I did not, I for sure was not going to her for any questions. So if she was a more senior nurse than me and I knew she had the experience and she had the skill that I needed, I did not feel safe going to her for anything, right? Because, well, she were flat out refused to help me, right? So, um, you know, you just look for someone else. But if the whole unit's like that, what is what does that do, right? How does that risk 
put patient safety at risk, essentially. And if you have, here's a tip for everybody. If you have concerns that a unit has bullying or not great um, teamwork, um, that the dynamics are off, or there was just a really bad shift and you're hearing, you know, you, you depose the nurse and they're like, my assignment was just really busy and I was in this emergency. Um, you know who knows what's happening on the unit? It's the unit secretary. They are sitting right front and center. They're answering all the call bells. They know that which nurse was going to be in one room. They they basically know where everyone is and they, they know whose assignment is really bad because they're getting constant calls and they have to constantly tell that nurse, you have to go bring ginger ale to this person. You have to go and see this person. So-and-so wants pain meds. Um, when doctors come to the unit um, because there's an issue, they this unit secretary knows. When there's a code that's called, sometimes we'll call it, but other times, if we are actively giving chest compressions or something, the unit secretary knows. The unit secretary knows all the, all the codes that are happening. They know they're the most overlooked person in this situation, but they know everything. When I actually recommend to CEOs to find out the pulse of the, the unit, um, I actually tell them to go and sit with the secretary of the unit because they know what's going on or be be the acting secretary for the day, right? Sign yourself up for a shift to be the acting secretary because you will reach out to nurse Jane and she, you're going to see that look on her face where she's just totally defeated and overwhelmed and doesn't feel like she can go on. And you'll, you'll kind of get a, a real feel for how, how the unit runs. And that's the role of the secretary. The secretary knows all of the things. So never overlook the unit secretary on the shift. Another overlooked aspect is the level of support from leadership. This one, I I ask about it and um, I don't know, it just gets shut down quite a bit, but really think about it. So support from leadership. So what type of environment does this leader foster? Do they allow bullying to occur? Do they encourage it? Do Are they a bully? Leaders can be bullies. You see nurses who are bullies that end up in leadership positions. I've worked for them. It's not, it's not a great time. The unit dynamics are really awful. The nurses aren't taken care of. That means their patients aren't taken care of. The unit doesn't have the resources it needs, whether I'm talking about um, supplies that they need, right? So if you're going to change a catheter, do you actually have catheters on the unit or do you have to be a day or two late changing a catheter? Do you have the proper, um, supplies for, to do a sterile dressing change or a sterile, um, catheter insertion? Do you have what you need to do a dressing change? All of the supplies you need, uh, leadership is in charge of making sure that their staff have what they need. And so many times where I've been working, I have not had what I needed and it's not been addressed and leaders, it's, it's, it's not been addressed by anybody. Sometimes it's a direct leader, but if it's a supply issue, right? So a patient's wound wasn't taken care of properly, so it didn't heal. And the nurse says, well, we just never had that type of dressing on hand. Well, who is in charge of making sure that that type of dressing is on hand? right? It might be the supply room. Okay, so who's in charge of the supply room? Why ask that person, why didn't you have this stuff to put on hand? And they might say, because 
It might be an upper management issue where they're like, okay, well, we're not paying for that anymore. So you really need to look at leadership. They're the ones who decide how many nurses are scheduled. They do the schedule. Um, they are the ones who I'm going to, I'm going to go to my leader, right? I'm going to go to my nurse manager and say, I am having a really hard time keeping up with my assignments. I need CNAs, right? When we were working in that step down unit and we didn't have CNAs, we went and we said, listen, we need CNAs. And on that floor, we started to see an increase in fall risk before they started to hire people. And that's their job. I can't go out and recruit people and hire people to work. But if the resource I need are more bodies, that's leadership's job. So always, always, always look at what the support is from the leadership. And Ask it from the employees, not from the leader, because they'll say that they give plenty, right? Always. Um, you want to look at the ongoing st- training for staff and staff development. How How is this tracked? Is there a program? Do, or do they have a requirement? Can I go sign up to work at this hospital and then never update my skills? Because with research coming out every single day, things change in healthcare and I need to make sure that I'm staying current on the current standard of care so my patients are getting the best care. How is my employer making sure that that happens? Um, you want to look at other litigation that the hospital might have been a party to. What you're looking for is, does this hospital have a trend, right? Has this hospital been sued a lot for falls? Has this hospital been sued a lot for wounds, have they been sanctioned ever because of it, right? And so um, looking at that, looking at the professional's license for the same reasons. Is this, um, I'm working up to do a case for, from the good nurse. So that's the nurse who went around and um, was killing patients in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, hundreds and, I mean, that he doesn't even know the number of patients that he killed because he was giving them incorrect medications. Well, was anyone pulling his license? Was anyone reporting him to the board? Actually, um, that's what I'm I'm going to look into. But look at this nurse's license because they might have been reported, right? Have they been reported for this before? Because now you have someone with a track record that is doing this. And if you can stop them, you can save the patients maybe at the next facility that they're going to harm, right? You know, looking at a case where a nurse killed hundreds of thousands of people and nobody stopped him, right? Who was there to stop him? We're here to stop him, right? And that's what we need to do. Um, you can look at the rates of um, central line infections, Foley catheter infections, falls, pressure injuries in the hospital. I'm suggesting this and I do suggest this because these indicators are a sign of systemic issues. Um, you can look at this for the unit individually and you can look at it for the hospital. I suggest both. If you have a unit, you know, the, the rates are high on the unit and the rest of the hospital is fine, then it's that unit's issue. But if the rates are high across the hospital, it's a whole systemic issue. Falls, pressure injuries, um, I've already told you, are highly linked to, to staffing it's stat, right? If you don't have the bodies to turn patients, if you don't have the bodies to be there with patients to keep them from getting up by themselves, you're going to have more falls. And so if you have a hospital who has an enormous fall risk or an enormous pressure injury um, issue, then 
you ha- you know that you probably have some systemic issues around staffing and education. Education is really huge, especially with the central line infections. If nurses aren't trained how to properly manage infections and properly manage and insert Foley's um, and properly manage and insert central lines, you're going to have a high risk of infections. And it's an education issue. So if a patient is admitted to the hospital, we have to do a head-to-toe skin check on every single person who comes in. doesn't matter how old they are. We do it because if they have a pressure injury when they're admitted, that's what we're looking for. Because if we didn't document the pressure injury on the day that they were admitted and we document it one day after, then main care, Medicare, government insurance will say, oh, you caused that pressure wound. They didn't have it when they came in and now they have it. And any care related to that pressure wound is not going to be reimbursed to the hospital. The hospital has to eat the cost of that entire thing. Medicare will not give them a penny to treat anything to do with a pressure wound. Um, so, I mean, it's serious business and they do that because it shouldn't happen. If nursing staff had the education and support that they needed, patients wouldn't be getting pressure wounds. We know so much, there's so much research out there to prevent pressure injuries that it's ridiculous if they if they get one on your watch, right? If you have a patient who's immobile, bed bound, and they're getting pressure wounds, uh, we see this in nursing homes a lot, right? Because, I mean, nursing home is a whole different beast. I mean, you'll have one, I mean, the nurses don't even do hands-on care in a nursing home. They're just there to pass meds and that's it. And pass meds and document on what they need to document. If your patient has a wound, they'll do the dressing. Um, But the one who's doing day-to-day care, bathing people, turning people, those are the CNAs. And if they're, you know, if you have one nurse for like one CNA for like 14 patients, well, let's see. If you have 14 patients, all need to be turned every two hours. And it's going to take you about 15 to 20 minutes each patient. I don't know. You do the math. Can you really do, can you really do two hour turns on 14 patients? I really don't think so. So um, nobody but nurses and CNAs and the people who are affected by it are doing that math. It seems like leadership is not um, doing that math. So we need to help them along with that issue. So that's why I suggest if you um, if you look at these, these issues. And I tell CEOs, if you're looking for issues on your unit, if you're looking for a unit with issues, you're looking for these things because these are a sign of a bigger problem. It's not just one pressure wound. It's not just a few falls. If you have a trend and you're getting pressure wounds, you have an issue you need to solve on that, on that unit. You're losing money. You're just, you're, you know, you just have your wallet out just like here take everything that you need. That's, it shouldn't even happen. Um, And the last thing to look at for the unit, the hospital um, facility, is the employee turnover rate and the traveler to staff ratio. So are people quitting? Are people not willing to work there? Are they having a hard time recruiting, maintaining staff? Those are signs of bigger issues, of a systemic issue in in the facility. People say, you know, nurses, you see them striking and they're like, oh, nurses want more money. Nurses want this. Oh, they want safe staffing because they don't want to work hard, right? I believe somebody a few years back was like, oh, nurses just play cards. Um, That really hurt our hearts so much because we're not. We're running. We are going the second we walk in to the second we leave. And when we leave, we have done all that we physically could. But in our heads and our hearts, we know that we could have done better if we had more support and more resources. 
And it's really, really hard. And when you're doing that day in and day out and you're seeing that your patients are at risk because you're unable to give them safe care, well, are you going to stay, are you going to continue to work there and put your whole entire nursing license and your entire career on the line? If you're smart, you're not. If you're smart, you're you're going to maybe ask and say, this is unsafe, I can't do this. And if they won't listen to you, you're going to skedaddle right on out. I tried long-term care and they told me I was going to take care of 36 patients on my own and be in charge because I was the only bachelor trained nurse and everyone else was an LPN in the building. And I had never even stepped foot in this facility. I didn't even know they were giving me key, trying to give me keys to things. I didn't even know where the cupboards were that the keys were going to. I didn't even know what was in the cupboards. I don't even know what I'm responsible for. I absolutely said, no, I am not. No, this is not happening. A 36 patient assignment for me is unsafe. Um, This is ridiculous. I am out. And it was skilled care. So every one of those patients had some sort of like wound care assessment, something I had to do. And there was just no physical way I could do it. So I told them that was unsafe. The whole entire situation was unsafe. I wasn't accepting it. And they said, well, everyone else does it. And I said, well, cool, have them do it. And I left. Um, because I would never work for someone who is going to jeopardize my entire livelihood and what I love to like I wake up and I just love being a nurse I love taking care of people I love doing this for you I love everything that I do and I would not let somebody who's trying to just make more money um ruin that for me I just I just wouldn't there's there's other places I can work that are safer and where I can give better care and keep my license and keep my job and continue to be a nurse. So I hope this really helped. Take whatever you want from it. Um, If you are screening cases, you know, really think about all of these things. Think about the situation. It's really, it really does come down to the circumstances because in a perfect world, you can do all of the things and that's where we all want to work. But in reality, most of the time, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a flawed world, especially now with staffing ratios the way that they are on some units, with employee, you know, short staff, people are not having, you know, CNAs to to help them. They're taking on more patients. The patients are sicker. You have patients on the floor that should have been in the ICU, but because the ICU is understaffed, you can't get people moved. Um, It's really hard to be a nurse. It's really hard. And so, no, we don't want to work for people who don't value us and aren't going to help us give safe care. If you don't love our patients the way that we love our patients, then maybe we don't want to work for you. And I really feel like that's what's happening. It's not that we want more money. It's not that we don't want to work as hard. It's that we just want to be able to take care of our patients the way that they deserve to be taken care of. And our job as a nurse is to fight for our patients. And that is what we do. And here on this podcast also, that is what we do every day. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope it was helpful. Share it with your friends if you feel um, like somebody could benefit from hearing this. And um, we love reviews. Go ahead and give us a review, especially love five-star reviews. But um, I really do enjoy the feedback. I always leave my contact information in the show notes. If you have questions, if you have suggestions for topics um, that you would want to talk about, uh, please, please, please reach out. And until next time. Hey there. 
this is the part of the podcast where I get to make my lawyer smile. And I get to tell you that the purpose of this podcast is for educational purposes only. I am not a lawyer and therefore not your lawyer or giving you any kind of legal advice as well as I am a nurse, but I am not your nurse. And so I am not giving you any medical advice either. Take this information as educational and consult your doctor or your legal counsel as you see fit.